Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. In this podcast, we spoke about Chris Wilder's first game in charge. We look ahead to the midweek fixture against Preston. We chat to Brady from and he takes that chance podcast about Huddersfield. And we answer your podcast questions. This is the Borough Breakdown Podcast, and this is our match day chatter in a pod. One support. Curtis Fleming is there on the edge of the air. Fleming for What's Craig Hignett. Hit it, Higgy. Higgy hits the track. Abanelli coming alive again. Janino wants the ball played to him. Abanelli spots out. Hello and welcome to the Borough Breakdown Podcast with Johnny, Dana and Tom. We are the Borough Podcast that gives you all the Borough Master Chatter in a podcast. And well, on Saturday, the DCI Chris Wilder era started with a 1-1 draw at the Riverside. Matt Crooks' goal was enough to give Borough Lee after 15 minutes, but an own goal from Sol Bamba 12 minutes later was enough to share the spoils at the Riverside. But guys, first game's over and done with. Let me know how you're feeling in three words. Dana, do you want to go first? Well, I think the three words after that game is probably work in progress. I know it's really cliche, um, especially uh, obviously because that's Chris Wilder's first game, but there were positives to take from the game. And then equally, there were still moments where I was like, yeah, this is the same part that we've seen for the whole of the season, really. So definitely a work in progress. Okay, work in progress for you. Tom, what are you going to go for? I'm going similar on on same lines, but um, early encouraging signs. I think there were were things in the game yesterday that we did well, uh, better than we have done previously this season. I was impressed a little bit more with the directness of our passing. Um, the, there was less kind of hopeful balls into the channels and kind of more intelligent ones around the corner for uh, Sparrow and what more to run on to. Um, and, and pressing was a lot better as well. It's just it didn't look like we had the energy to kind of bring that through the the entire game. There was still that slight issue with after half time. I mean, thankfully we didn't concede this time, uh, but it it did seem like a different borough in second half again. So obviously that's something uh, Wilder knows about, has addressed in his, his press conferences, and hopefully will be working on and, and fixing soon. Yeah, I'd agree with the Perry's. Uh, I'm gonna go with a decent start. I think the the point. Uh, on Saturday was was a good point. I think we should have probably won the game quite comfortably, probably, um, if we had a much better second half. But I think overall, I was relatively quite happy. This The, the style in that first 20 minutes or so was really good. Uh, we moved the ball quite well. We were able to get in, uh, behind the, the defence quite easily. But let's break it down um, because I want to know your thoughts on the game itself and we'll, we'll delve into it deeper as well. Um, but... How would you both assess the game against Millwall yesterday, Tom? Do you want to, do you want to go first? I, I was happy uh, with the performance. I, I mean, I'm, I'm disappointed that we we didn't win, obviously. Um, I didn't think Millwall really did a lot to, to deserve a draw from it. And I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure that, uh, you know, Belkowski kept them in it uh, at certain points of the first half. 
every time he saved a shot, I was like cursing our luck that we didn't go in for him in the summer after I was saying he was on my summer transfer list last year. And I think every time he kind of proved why. Uh, but it, it seemed like we had more shots on target in the first half than we had pretty much for the rest of the season at the Riverside, like at least more than more than I can remember. Um, like I said, there were some encouraging signs in, in terms of the, the passing and directness, but it did look a bit disjointed at times. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of mainly talking about the passing in the second half there. There did seem to be kind of one too many misplaced passes or trying to overplay it at times. Uh, particularly down the left-hand side, uh, it did seem at times like Bowler and Tav were getting to the edge of the box, cutting back and then playing triangles around without really creating anything, um, which I'm, I'm sure will will be worked out with them and 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 it will be more direct going forward and, and the chance creation will get better. But I was happy with the amount of chances that we created. I think against a different goalkeeper, we'd have won that quite comfortably yesterday. Okay, so a, a lot for me to dissect there and some obviously with the keywords of like being disjointed there's the appreciate there's overloads and left much better energy but then how would you assess things as well because it seemed that Middlesbrough had a really good start and then the second half we just we just uh went flat didn't it it just went flat there was there was nothing much to really chat about yeah I mean Millwall fans said on one of their recent podcasts that one of their recent performances was almost like flat coca-cola after the party and I think that's how you can describe that second half generally speaking we just didn't have as much energy and we did the energy levels did drop but the first half I really enjoyed it Tom was saying there about the shots on target we actually had eight shots on target which is the most in a match that we have managed this season and one thing that I noticed is that we didn't have the man marking and we still looked really solid defensively we only allow Millwall to have two shots um, with a combined xg in the first half of 0.08 so they were very low quality shots so we were very compact I echo what Tom said about feeding in Sparan what more and I think what Chris Wilder has done is he's looked at the options that he has and he's looked at what more and Sparan and said right okay they're players that want to play in behind they have the pace to get onto balls threaded through the defence and he's already shown that right okay that's a strength of theirs we'll play to that so that was really good to see it's just I mean it's a massive shame about that that own goal of, of Bamba's we'll get into the the controversies around it 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 shouldn't have it shouldn't have uh, got to that point but all in all and we're really positive positive thing to take from that first half and I really enjoyed it It was really enjoyable to watch the intricate football the triangles that Tom was saying and you could tell that that's uh, pre-worked and in the two weeks that Chris Wilder's had already you can see the partnerships being worked on. So just with that the first half was very energetic Borough playing good football you know I think we were unlucky to go in uh, at the break level because uh, I appreciate I'll come on to that in, in just a second but that second half Dana what what happened? Because do you think Millwall adjusted the formation? Do you think they had another man in midfield to try and block things out? Or what, what do you think happened for that? Well, I think it's mostly to do with Borough just dropping in energy. Chris Wilder said it after the game that they've had a lot of information thrown at them in recent, well, the past two weeks since he's arrived. And they're talking about playing in possession and dominating the ball, playing through the thirds. And... Ultimately, the players are still adapting, so they just 
the, the energy waned a little bit. So it, it was that, I mean, there will have been tweaks from Rowett for sure, but there wasn't any that really particularly stood out to me. It was more that I feel like we just, as as I said, the energy and and the the aggression wasn't quite there in that second half. And I think it's reflected as well, actually, because there were 16 tackles in total in that first half compared to nine in the second. So, yeah, the, the energy levels did drop a little bit. Are you surprised in the, in the energy levels dropping? Because under Neil Warnock, when you when we were trying to play that man-marking system, you know, you have to have really high energy levels to, to make that really effective. So for Wilder to come in and to say that the squad isn't as where he wants it to be, are you surprised by that, just given the, the pedigree of Neil Warnock as well, saying that he wants really fit sides? Yeah, it is. I mean, I, I don't really it, know why. it's. Is it standard football cliche from a manager to come in to say that? Potentially, but it has been a problem this season, hasn't it? And it's it's shown through the first half versus the second half table. And it's it's a strange one. It, it's a strange one. It's good, actually, to see Frankie Hunter back in the fall. They did say last podcast that she'd left. I, I assumed that. Obviously, I was wrong. Um, but it's good to, see, good to see her back. Matt Prestridge is in there as well. So hopefully that can be fine-tuned and worked on because not only is, I think, our second half, we sort of burn out a little bit, but also we've been picking up really niggling, annoying injuries to big players as well. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's a bit of a conundrum, but hopefully we can, we can sort that out very soon. Absolutely. Um, Tom, early stages of the, the Wilder era, of course. Um, but what do you think the new boss has implemented already as well? Dan has alluded to it quite quite a lot there, but uh, we pulled a stat after yesterday's game. It was 20% lower long balls than we've had against Warnock's average this season. So can you is this definitely the style of football that we want to be playing more playing more now, more down to feet, getting behind and trying to to use our, our strengths in terms of pace? Absolutely down to feet. I mean, I've spoken about many times on, on the pod this season that we do better when we play on the floor anyway. Um, but I think um, I think Dan just touched on it there and, and the fact that he's looked at the squad and, and known exactly what the strengths are of our strikers, um, where to play certain players and, and how to play as well. There were a couple of things I wasn't sure on yesterday. Um, for example, Isaiah Jones at wing-back. I just I don't think that position has... Like yeah, in yesterday's game, I don't think that position let him make the type of impact that we know he can make uh, mm-hmm. from the rest of the games this season. And there were times where, because we were we were that quick in the transition and getting it forwards, he didn't even have a chance to overlap. Um, I'm thinking specifically about one point in the first half where it was Crooks played a long ball forward on uh, I think it was what no, it was Spira, um played a long ball forward to, to him as Isaiah Jones had just about drawn level with him. Um, so I, I didn't really see much of, of him yesterday. And then obviously Hernandez came on and, and did make a bit of a, a difference there. Um, but yeah, I think it's just knowing the strengths of the players. Um, and I think we saw it yesterday, particularly in Crooks and Tav's performance um, and Watmore and Sparar as well. But another thing I wasn't so sure on yesterday was Coburn for the second half. I think if that was Ikpiazu, we'd have done a little bit better. Um but I just I, I think that's just because it wasn't Coburn's type of game. I don't want to be too harsh on him because he has played well this season and he is still developing. Um, but I think it was it was clear when Ikbiazu came on what he was going to offer. Um, but I, th- I think it's still stuff that that Wilder's finding out about the team, and you know I think especially in the next few games he'll be finding out more, and and, and we'll be looking more like a, a Wilder team as as the time goes on. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think when, interesting that you mentioned Isaiah Jones there. His average position yesterday was just before the halfway line. So it's a, it's a lot deeper than what we've previously seen him. I think if you look on the flip side and look at Mark Bowler and where he was, he was in that final third quite a lot. Appreciate Borough cause and a lot of overloads on that left-hand side to try and get him behind. And But it was interesting to see that Jones was playing more of a deeper role yesterday. Um, but I want to chat about Luke Daniels really quickly, Tom, because distribution and Mills were trying to affect the play. I know you were saying that Chris Wilder has a lot to work on, um, but his previous goalkeepers, you know, Dean Henderson, Aaron Ramsdale, both known to have really good distribution as goalkeepers. Um, when you're looking at Daniels yesterday, was it was it a little bit frustrating because I didn't think his distribution was that great yesterday? No, I, I agree. I, I thought it was terrible to be honest. Um, I, I think it was it was in our group chat where Dana mentioned he'd sliced quite a few kicks. Um, yeah, I think there was actually two in succession in the first half as well, mm. which. You know, yeah. groan, groans around the ground for that but there were times where I, f- I feel like he's been told to do it because there were times where he, he'd collect the ball in our box and then just rush to the edge straight away looking to, to play it up very quickly throw it or, or, or kick it up the field but it wasn't accurate um, and there were quite a few times where it went out of play um, so I, I think that's that's something where we're going to be trying to utilise it as a team for the rest of the season and I'm not so sure after that performance if it will be Daniels. Um, you know, Lumley distribution-wise, uh, I, I think has done better than Daniels uh, at distribution this season. Obviously, there's just other things that, to take into account, like command of the area. I think Daniels has done that a little bit more than Lumley. So it, it's turned into uh, a bit of a conundrum with the, the keepers at the moment um, and, and, and who's going to be in that spot for the rest of the season. I want to come to the goalkeepers uh, in, in just a little bit later on because we do have a couple of questions around it. Um, but I think it's it's definitely a vital position that we need to probably look at in the January window. Uh, and then finally, just end before we move on to the the red that we what we think we think should have been a red card or a foul. Um, Mills were played much more of a a higher line yesterday. Um, they were much more aggressive in the press. You've seen a lot of Paddy McNair as well become more advanced. Is this the sign of potentially overlapping centre-backs, the return of Paddy McNair moving into midfield from defence? And what do you think the manager's looking to implement there? Was that to me? Yeah, to you there, yeah. Sorry, I think I missed that cue. Uh, (laughs) It was actually Peltier that I noticed that was uh, overlapping, so he threw a little bit of a curveball there. Um, You would have thought it would be Paddy, but Paddy, I think, was more marauding into the midfield areas centrally rather than sort of overlapping on the on the wide areas. So it was, yeah, I noticed Lee Peltier was actually kind of the only one really that, that I noticed overlapped. But there's baby steps there towards it, I think. And it, I'm not really sure whether that is something that we will actually see so much because, of course, it worked. Um, at Sheffield United, but there will no doubt be a tweak to that successful formula just to keep teams on their toes because there was a conversation from many Sheffield United fans when he wasn't doing particularly well in that Premier League season of has he been found out? And you could argue in the end that that overlapping centre-back system and tactic did get found out now, of course, that's in the Premier League, this is in the Championship, it's completely different, but... I feel like that we might see it, but I don't think it's a, a definite to be to be a part of the um, the way that we play. But you never know. As I said, it's a successful formula. It's worked that's worked well for him. 
what he said about tactical flexibility and I have no doubt that he and Alan Neil will probably come up with something just as illogical as overlapping centre-halves and we'd be scratching our heads thinking how is this working but yeah there's there's baby steps towards it I suppose from what we saw yesterday overlapping goalkeepers next that's, that's what I've heard <laughs> Probably, you know, you, you, you never know. You never not know. Daniel's um, distribution. Yeah, probably not. Yeah, that's very true. Um, but let's let's chat about the red card then. Um, and look, prior to the equaliser, it looked like there was a flag a flag for a foul. Um, at the other end of the pitch, we on a foul on what more, but it wasn't given in that transition. Of course, you know we've seen an elbow from Mason Bennett um, on McNair, and then obviously ricocheted off Sobamba and then went in. So. Couple of questions to throw you away. One, do you think it was a red card? Um, and two, um, should Mills have had a foul earlier on up the pitch? Um, who wants to take it? Uh, Tom, go on, you can take that one. I'll, I don't mind taking the foul, uh, up the pitch one because that was directly in front of where I was sat. Um, to be honest, I think it would have been soft, and I fully believe that Watmore knew what he was doing with that. Because you can see, as he kind of runs in front of him, he does put his his shoulder and an elbow up, ready to kind of like barge in, uh, barge him off the ball, and and just kind of cut in front. Um, and he does cut in front, and maybe there is a bit of a clash of legs, but he knew exactly what he was doing there. So it would have been soft, but I think it it is a foul. Um, and and then obviously further up the pitch, it, it's a even more blatant foul than that. And I, I think. Uh, Borough's uh, social media admin this morning kind of uh, made a point of that with the uh, I think it was the highlights tweet, and it just shows McNair with uh, the blood <laughs> around his eye. It's like, yeah, that was clearly a foul. Uh, watched it on, on the replays on the AFL show. They all agreed that that was absolutely a, a, a foul, and I do think that should have been a red card as well. But more to the point for the the Watmore incident, obviously the and Joby McEnough, I think, was the one that was saying this on um, Quest. I think I don't know whether I've just imagined that, but the linesman is the closest to that incident, and he flags for a foul, and the referee overrules him. And it just became the Oliver Langford show after that because obviously Mason Bennett steps into Paddy McNair, literally forearm smashes him in the face. And you're thinking, right, how's that? It, you know, what more? It's kind of like eh, soft. Some, I mean, I didn't see it in real time because uh, somebody was stood up in front of me, unfortunately, great timing. Um, but he said, that's a dive. Not quite sure that the dive is, dive is the right word, but he definitely, you know, as you said, Tommy knew what he was doing, but that forearm smash is that that is a blatant foul and, and the ref completely lost the game like in the in the five minutes that followed as well yeah um I'm, I'm thinking if i remember right i saw a tweet that said he was the one in charge of that swansea game last season uh i don't know if you guys no, have seen that Ward. as well going well i think it was the referee for swansea last season yeah, he must have been comparing them to him then, but yeah. <laughs> same, you know, I, I think it's, it's comparable. It's, like it, it's the same thing, Tom. It's it's referees in in the EFL. You know, we've we've had a number of issues with them over the season and also in the previous season as well. Um appreciate I thought they was trying to pick on Neil Warnock at one point, but it's continuing, of course, and there is petitions from from a lot of fans to see uh, the EFL you know, introduce and potentially VAR and then also try to improve the standard of officiating. But that is probably for 
another day. Um, another day. But he's both in agreement then, foul and potential red card for, for Mason Bennett. And then to think that Millsborough have been, well, have, been, have dropped two points there just because of a bad refereeing decision. Yeah, for me, it's it. You can argue that it's a, a red card for sure because he his elbow goes straight into McNair's face. I mean, if that isn't at least a foul, then I don't know what it is to be honest. And I mean, to be fair, the goal itself is so glitchy; it bounces, it ricochets, it comes off Sol Bamber, and you're just thinking, "Oh God, that's probably the most typical Borough goal you can you can concede." They barely did anything, to be honest. There was a funny moment in the first half where I can't remember who got it uh, on the right-hand side and they tried to cut it back. It was the worst cutback I've ever seen. <laughs> and, and that's, I think, Millwall in a nutshell, really. Um, they're just a very strange team and what their, their fans were saying about them being beige and insipid, I think we saw that, to be honest. But then again, they've got to point out the game, so fair play to them. Last question on, on the game, Dana. Um, George Savile, did we understand what he was? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, you know what? I was looking at the Millwall hashtag after the game, and to be fair, their fans were saying that he was pretty poor. So, um, yeah, it is what it is with George Savile. But actually, on George Savile, do you think that he has a ticket to the Borishit House Island? Why do you ask? Because I think he was a very underrated shit house for us. There were a few little moments of George Savile's Borough career where you're thinking, right, he's a he's a Warnock player. I think we need some VAR and some actual evidence because I feel like we can't okay. give t- we can't give a ticket to the island for for little moments like that. It has to Fucking be jockey. very we'll big put it to the listeners. moments, like uh, an Adam Clayton example where it was uh, we did a rugby tackle on on players and then did the scrum on the line at Sheffield Wednesday. That is shithousery at its finest, isn't it? So What about then, this is unrelated, but Patrick Bamford, when we scored against Sheffield Wednesday, and it was him that celebrated in front of the keeper, wasn't it? Keeper was on the floor, and then he celebrated in his face. So, yeah, mm, Bamford, Bam- Bamford, Savile, we'll put it to the listeners. Yeah, they could potentially make it on a shithouse island. I think it's it's the standard's quite high now, I think. You know, you know we, we can't have just... Bit part players on the island. I feel it makes it makes no sense. Like, and if we're going to yeah. vote them off, if if we're going to vote them off at the end of the season, we need like a strong. We need some strong candidates to actually do it. But I mean, true, true. The islands, the islands, getting more packed as as we speak. But let's let's chat around the uh, the post match then. Um, and Tom Chris Wilder, um, he mentioned in his press conference that Marcus Tavernier and Matt Crooks were playing in the natural positions uh, on Saturday. Is he starting to put a little dig into to Neil Warnock there? And, is, and are the players playing in their natural positions? It sounded like it, didn't it? Um, Sava, that or he was listening to the podcast last week when I was saying putting square pegs in round holes. It didn't shot on me, but... Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I think him and Crooks are in their best positions. I think we saw that yesterday. Um, you know, I, I thought Tav had one of his better games this season. And I'd say the same about Crooks as well. I thought Crooks was, was great yesterday. I thought he covered a lot of ground and just in, in terms of the the balls he was playing through, um, it's it's not something we've seen from him so far, even though pretty sure we all said after the Bristol game, he, he's good with the ball at his feet. Um, so not sure why he hasn't been allowed to do that uh, previously. But yeah, I thought yesterday he kind of really showed uh, what he can do in that position. And also, by the way, I did just Google Oliver Langford and just see when the, when 
why we recognised him from Borough game. He was the one in charge of that Preston game where Alex Neal and um, that other lad got sent off for, for Boot and Sam Oh, Alan Brown. Alan Brown, yeah. <laughs> was that the yeah. wait? That was the game where Sam Morsey did what Sam Morsey does best. Yeah. Amazing. Love it. Good old Sam Morsey. Yeah. Was, well, Good to be fair, Sam it was Morsey. on our side that game. It wasn't on our side yesterday. Yeah, no, absolutely but, not. I know. Uh, but Tom, Marcus Tavernier, he mentioned him there as well. The Marcus Tavernier question of the week, uh, as we always dissect this, his positioning, move central uh, yesterday for Saturday's game. Um, is this the position now? Is this the moment we say Marcus Tavernier, central player, or are we going to chat about it in a couple of weeks' time and say, oh, he's maybe out wide again? I think he's going to be a central player, considering Wilder's said the whole round pegs and round holes thing. Um, and like I say, he did have one of his better games this season yesterday, so I, I can see him sticking there. Um, I'd, I'm quite interested to see what the what the midfield looks like when Piero Saliki comes back, though, because I don't think Housen will be in it. But then, you know, will Piero be like the more deep lying one of the three of them? Obviously, Warnock was trying to use him kind of further up the pitch, but when we know he's played for Banfield, he was one of the ones sticking further back, so. Be interesting to see those three as a free in midfield uh, once he's back from injury. Denny, you were really impressed with Tav yesterday, weren't you? Yeah, he was brilliant. He did the the sort of nitty gritty stuff in midfield really well. Won the second most duels in the game with nine after Saul Bamba on ten, and I think that epitomised Tav yesterday. It was a moment where he tracked right back to to win the ball back, and that just epitomises him. Is his work rate, his energy, his um, commitment to the game is is fantastic. And he had he had a shot. I think he might have had two actually, where it didn't end up in Rose's head. So that's that you know that's a uh, an improvement. But yeah, he did he did really well yesterday, Tav. And hopefully, in that sort of uh, central left field uh, position, he can he can really thrive. Absolutely. Um, just on what you were saying uh, there about the, the midfield, Tom, um, it'd be interesting to see what Saliki does. I think Saliki would be is would be quite fitting uh, to play this system under Wilder. I think his ball retention is quite good. His passing completions is actually very good. But I mean, under Neil Warnock, they were absolutely terrible. But we'll come <laughs> to that at a, a different time. Uh, but Dana Andres Spora went off injured, of course, yesterday at half time. Chris Wilder said it looked like he rolled his ankle, looked pretty swollen. Another injury for Millsborough now. Um, how much of a big miss do you think he'll be if he's not playing this week? Because he's quite clearly Borough's best striker by a country mile. And then on top of that, another name on the injury list as well. We should yeah, make hope... an injury injury island. That's what <laughs> we should, be. shouldn't we? Yeah. <laughs> um, sponsored by Kieran Dyer. But I think he's probably... I mean, Spurra's a, a top-class player, to be honest. You can see it in the way that he plays, the intricacies of his movement, the touches, the link-up play, the awareness of, t- of teammates around him. He's absolutely fantastic. And Wilder said after the game that it is just a, a swollen ankle, so hopefully it's nothing long-term. I'm not sure whether that means that he will play on Tuesday. I'm hoping that it's just a case of the magic sponge and then he'll be back. But he, I think we missed him. We absolutely missed him in that second half. His movement is invaluable, really, to the team. And as I said, there is link-up play, purring about it. It's, it's absolutely fantastic. And it was really good to see us actually play to his strengths a lot more. Him and Watmore played really well together. So, yeah, top-class player. Really hope that he's back for the Preston game because I think he's an incredibly important player for us going forward. 
Absolutely. But another name to the injury list, Marcus Brown, Fisher, Amiobi, Hall, Piero, Fry, and now Sparar as well. So that injury list is getting a little bit bigger. Um, but I think Chris Wilder has said a lot around addressing it um, in the coming weeks. So hopefully those players can come back, um, but we'll we'll see. But let's go to questions uh, for the week. So the questions are you send them in on Twitter and we answer them on the podcast. Um, and the first question this week is from Ben. Um, he says, plenty of positives. I love the new system. Apologies for potentially raising a negative here. Uh, can the likes of Bamba, Corbin, uh, like, uh, slightly lesser extent Daniels play in this system? Felt like we only had 10 men when Sparar came off. Tom, do you want to take that one? Yeah, I mean, I do kind of agree with that that last statement that it felt like we had 10 men when Sparar came off. But like I said earlier, I think it just wasn't Corbin's type of game. When you look at Millwall's centre-backs and kind of how big they are, I, I don't think he had much much of a chance against them. Um saying that I think he would in different games. So I don't see why there's any reason why Coburn couldn't fit in at this system. Um, Bamber, um, I, I think at that centre centre role of the three, where he doesn't have to push forward so much, uh, could still do a job there for, for this season. Um, but yesterday there was Sam's where he was a bit deeper than everyone else and he should have been pushing up uh, with the rest of them. And also Daniels, we discussed it earlier. He needs to to improve his distribution if he's if he's going to stay part of the system. Uh, if he can't, then there's no room for him. And potentially we should be looking at upgrading that keeper position in January, which sounds ridiculous considering we've got three of them. But you know, if if Stojanovic isn't going to get a look in, uh, you know, that's potentially someone we can move on, open up a, a place in the squad and, and bring in a, a keeper with better distribution. Uh, well, Chris Wilder did say that Mills would have to sell uh, if they are to bring players in in the window. Um, but in terms of Stojanovic, he was actually brought in because of his distribution, um, <laughs> which surprisingly hasn't been that good or what we haven't seen of it at all. So it's, it's quite interesting to see him not be included again by another manager. Um, you, you never know, he might get his chance eventually, but I think it's quite strange that he's, he's not getting a look in at the moment. Um, but then the next question is from Charlie. He says, with Jones' new contract and Wilder playing the three-five-two, do you think that Wilder wants to convert him into a win-back? Um, but also, with, with Chat of Jed coming back in January, do you think he wants to come back as well? So do you think that Chris Wilder is going to change uh, Isaiah Jones into a wing-back? And then two, do you think Jed's going to come back? And do you think he wants to come back? Well, Borough do have a recall clause in the in the um, loan deal, don't they? So it'd be stupid, really. I mean, Chris Wilder was watching Nottingham Forest uh, a few weeks ago before the international break. And I mean, he's I think he's perfect for that right wing-back spot. He's been really excelling at, at the city grounds. So I think we will see Jed back in January. Uh, regarding Jones, he's decent defensively. He, he does his work defensively, but it hinders his attacking output as well. And Tom was mentioning it earlier that yesterday, we didn't really see him a lot in those attacking areas of the pitch. There was one moment where he was he was quite uh, quite deep and he threaded a ball through for what more. But other than that, it was he was he had a quiet game offensively and I think that's a result of obviously him playing right wing back and having those defensive duties instilled on him so it's it's difficult with Jones because he is such a bright attacking talent but we need to find that balance between his attacking output and his defensive output and on the main yesterday it was defensively that he stood out more than offensively. 
Okay. Um, next question uh, is from Gareth. Uh, Dana, I'm going to stick with you for this one. Well, actually, I'll ask you both because it's, it's I want to hear your both opinions on this one. Uh, who on Wilder's list is going to be out the door in January? So who would you get rid of in January? Oof. Olesanya, maybe. Olesanya, because obviously we Warnock, uh, he was Warnock's hunch signing. Um, wasn't on the bench yesterday. Has been in the under-23s potentially alone but then he's 24 so what you know a law is a is a loan I'm, I'm not sure really on Alessandra he's a bit of a bit of a strange one and it's a bit unfortunate for him because obviously Warnock was the reason why he came to the club um Warnock basically cherry picked him and said to Steve Gibson you know kind of take a chance on him and then Warnock leaves it's football isn't it but potentially Alessandra but then I'm looking. I'm looking at the rest of the team. Stianovic, I think, is probably a dead cert to leave. But other than that, I'm not really sure to be honest. Maybe Grant Hall. I can't really see him thriving so much in a she- um, in a Sheffield United in a Chris Wilder team. Maybe them three. I was going to say, I can't see Chris Wilder thriving in the shirt there. I was like, is he, is he just going to play topless for the foreseeable future? That would be a sign. Tom, who would you get rid of in the January? Yeah, I, I think the three that Dana mentioned there, um, out of the three, I was thinking more Grant Hall because um, I don't, I'm, I agree, I don't think he's going to to thrive so much in this system. I think if we were to bring in a proper ball-playing centre-back who can get forward, um, then that would probably be an upgrade on that position. Looking at the at the rest of the team, I, I think we've got 24 registered at the moment, so we've maybe got space for one more. I can see someone else coming in up front because um, I, I do think we've, we'll lack options there. Um, and then maybe just like a specialist wing-back. Um, obviously, if Spence is coming back, we're going to have to register him, which... You know, if we kind of loan Olasanya out or get rid of him, then then that would be uh, that space covered. Uh, for left back, obviously we've got Baller, we've got uh, got Neil Taylor. So yeah, I, I think potentially right wing back, and then look to move Dyke still in centre or in centre defence in midfield, maybe. I want to go really left field here, and it kind of feeds it nicely to the next question. But I think there could be a name going, you know, in the January. I feel like we could potentially see a Fry or Tav leave, which is... I was thinking like, Fry, to be honest, more than Tav. Could see it, you know. Like, obviously, Leeds, you know, are interested in Tav at the moment, which I think Tav would really fit uh, Bielsa's system quite well. Mm. Um, but then also, with Fry, like, he's always tipped to be moving away. You know, if, if you're getting about £10 million for him, absolutely, I think, you know, you can really reinvest that in the squad, can't you? And then it, it that kind of proves that like the academies work because you've got ten million for a, a academy graduate, so could be interesting. But I don't know. I feel like I, just, I, just, I just have have a hunch, have a have have a Neil Warnock hunch. Um, <laughs> but the next question uh, was from Phil, and he and he said, "Would you offload Tav in January if it means money for some new blood?" So if 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 a bid came in for for Tav, would you would you sell him? Not for me. Because we've brought in Chris Wilder mid-season. When you change managers mid-season, obviously the the club's hierarchy want progress and they want improvement from the previous manager. And the sound waves that were coming out from Neil Warnock was that 
they wanted top six this season. Surely the aim, and, and absolutely the aim is this season to try to break into the playoff places. So with that, you need your best players for it. And Tav is one of our best players. And I think it would be, I don't think it would be particularly beneficial if we got rid of him mid-season. In the summer, maybe you could say, right, this is the time. We're kind of, you know, you you, you might deserve um, yeah, deserve the right words because I can hear people saying, well, you can't deserve it if he's not scored many goals and registered assists for us. But probably that step, I think, is probably the, the best way to say about Tav. Um, step away from Borough's step up, but definitely not mid-season. Okay. <laughs> Mills Russell, Mike Stavon here to lead mid-season. Um, <laughs> no, he's, now that with the Borough breakdown curse is on there. Um, last question <laughs> of the day then, Tom. Um, I and mean, you've mentioned it already, but it's from Mike and Paul. And it's, uh, is the keeper position a priority in January or should we wait until the summer? Um, priority in the, in the window, Tom? Yes? I'd say so, yeah. I, I think none of the keepers so far have really looked convincing all rounds. I think they've been good at specific things. Uh, like Daniels, I've, I've been impressed with command of his area and being able to come for crosses, but then his distribution hasn't been great. Lumley, it's the opposite. His distribution's been all right, but coming for crosses, he's been a bit sketchy and you, you're always kind of heart in your mouth when he's coming out for something. So you're going to be wanting someone who's who's good all round and, and better a distribution as well because that's going to fit into this system more and probably you know win those points just from, from having uh, a good all-rounder in that position. Okay, then. Well, thank you very much, guys. And thank you very much for sending in your questions. And now, just before we move into Preston, just a quick word from our sponsor, uh, MND Association. This season, we're fundraising for the Morton Neuron Disease Association. Morton Neuron Disease is a fatal, rapidly progressing disease that affects the brain, spinal cord, and can make a person unable to move, swallow and even breathe the mnd association is incredibly close to this podcast and we're trying to raise as much money as we possibly can to improve care and even get one step closer to finding a cure for this disease you're helping us right now by listening to this awareness message but you can go one step further by helping us achieve our target of five thousand pound by just donating what you can to www.justgiven.com forward slash the borough breakdown mnd that's www.justgiven.com forward slash the Borough Breakdown MND. Okay, so thank you guys um, for listening to that ad. We've we've raised over £1,100 for the MND Association already. So thank you very much uh, for that. But let's move on um, and let's chat about midweek game against Preston. We're 16th place. Preston managed by postman Frankie McEwen. <laughs> I couldn't do it. I can't do it. Um, the 16th, uh, Frankie McAvoy is the manager there at Preston at the moment, and they arrive at the Riverside in really poor form. Um, but unfortunately, we couldn't get a Preston perspective uh, this week, so we're going to do the breakdown instead. But Dana, there is a lot going on at Preston, isn't there? There just seems to be in disarray everywhere. Yeah, to be honest, I feel like they're lucky that there are worse teams below them and teams that have had points deductions. Otherwise, they would be in massive, massive trouble already. 
having said that, I still think they're in trouble of potentially going down because it seems very, very toxic at Preston at the moment. They had just 9,822 home fans at the game against Cardiff, and I think that signifies just how empathetic people have become, really. So there's that, which is an interesting footnote to the game. Um, They're probably tactically one of the worst if not the worst team in the league they just well, it, seem he is a, well frankie mcavoy is a postman remember, so it... <laughs> exactly <laughs> but it seems like they they don't have a plan b they barely have a a plan a they had their top scorer emil reese taking a long throw uh, in the box towards the end of the game against cardiff on saturday which is reminiscent of harry kane being on corners at the world cup under roy hodgson um but a lot of their fans are saying that the manager's out of the de- out of his depth um he was cupping his ears apparently to the uh, home fans after he walked off on saturday which is never ever a good sign when a manager goes against the fans i think you're on a hide it or nothing there but in terms of statistically uh, they've scored seven goals from set pieces this season which is the joint third most in the league um, they statistically will try to win the ball high up the pitch the average 84 times possession one in the final third which is the joint fifth uh, in the league um, as I mentioned there I think I mentioned it anyway <laughs> Emil Reese is their top scorer on seven goals but their away form is particularly bad they've only picked up one win on the road at six points in total only two teams in Barnsley and Peterborough have picked up fewer points on the road than Preston Sounds like they're really mailing in for away games. <laughs> oh, wow. I, that is a terrible joke. <laughs> terrible. Absolutely terrible. Um, good good uh, insight there, Dana. It, it's interesting to see them uh, really struggling as, as a club. Um, but obviously back-to-back defeats as well uh, this week. And, and a manager trying to cup his ears is never, ever a good sign, is it? Um Given that the Soper away from home, let's chat about predictions. And are we going to go typical Borough and get beat, or are we going to win against Preston? Tom, do you want to go first? You know, I'm going for for Wilder's first win against them. I, f- I think they're a team we absolutely should be beating, um, and I'm actually going to go with three nil. Um, I know it's it's out of character for what we've done this season, but I do think that that type of uh, philosophy and attitude is something Wilder's going to try and get into the players. I don't think as soon as we score one, we're going to sit on it and try and defend it out. I think he's going to want us to attack and score more. So yeah, I'm going to go 3-0 on Tuesday. 3-0 for Tom, very convincing. Uh, Dana, what are you going to go for? I'm going to go with 2-0, I think. I'm hoping to get two score predictions right in a row after I got one all yeah, against you Millwall. Did. You did. Um, I was going to go 2-0 as well, Dana, so... Uh, I'll join you on that one. Uh, and then also on Saturday, uh, let's move on to Saturday as well because Middlesbrough will play away to Huddersfield um, at the John Smith Stadium. Um, and to get a Huddersfield perspective, we asked Brady from He Takes That Chance podcast to give us all we need to know about Carlos Carboron's Terriers. Hi, it's Brady here from Any Takes That Chance, um, the Huddersfield Town podcast. So just to give you an insight into how Huddersfield will set up for the match against Middlesbrough this weekend. Uh, our home form has been really, really good this season. Obviously, I'm just recording after our one 0 win against West Brom. Um, so we set up in a three four three, and that three at the back has been really crucial to us from a defensive viewpoint because we conceded the most goals in the league last season, and the three um, has just added that extra solidity 
um, which makes us a lot harder to break down. So it's normally been uh, Matty Peterson, Tom Lees and Levi Colwell. Um, but Naby Sarr came in uh, for the game against West Brom and was really solid. Um, I would also include the goalkeeper in that because he's been fantastic. Lee Nichols come in. Um, you'll probably see in the match, he, he likes to wind up the opposition and time waste a little bit. So uh, I'm sure, you know, Borough fans will be looking forward to seeing that. Um, but the, what the three four three offers us from an attacking perspective is we can kind of overload. So our wing-backs have been really important this season. Um, Harry Toffolo, who's, you know, a great player at this level, um, can overlap one of the, the wingers. Uh, and I'm sure, as you guys have seen, Sorba Thomas, uh, you know, don't know if anyone's mentioned it, but he was playing non-league um, at the start of this year. He's come in and been um, exceptional, really, from a you know f- in terms of his delivery. He's fantastic set piece taker. Uh, I think he's still got the most assists in the championship at the time of time of recorded. So he's been exceptional. He's definitely one to watch. Um, not just for what he offers from a set piece pers- perspective, but he likes to uh, flip the ball over opposition's heads and get in behind. So. He's been really good for us from an attacking perspective. Um, one player I think uh, Middlesbrough should watch out for as well is Danel Sonani. So he's uh, a winger, uh, plays for Luxembourg, who we got on loan from Norwich. Uh, and he's just scored in his last two. So Cardiff and Norwich, and uh, not Norwich, sorry, Cardiff and West Brom. Uh, and he's, yeah, he, he seems to be kind of kicking on a bit. So I think in terms of threat, he seems to be the one to watch at the moment. Um, so yeah, so... There's quite a few players I think we need to, you need to watch out for, uh, particularly Sonani and Thomas, I would say. Um, how I think the game's going to go, well, I think Chris Wilder's a fantastic appointment for Middlesbrough. Um, we know what he can do at this level. So, I, I'm not, you know, I, I, I know it's still early days in his borough tenure, but, you know, I expect it'll be a tough game. Um, you know, Middlesbrough are a good team. You know, even when under Warnock, you're, we're always difficult to play against. Obviously, we had that classic uh, last season, 3-2 win. I think it'll be a really tough game. And, um, yeah, I I could see it maybe being a score draw just, just because, of, you know, I imagine you guys will kick on a bit. Um, I think you've got a fantastic squad. Tavernier uh, is a player I like, that, like quite a lot. Um, yeah, no, so I think it'll be a tough game. You know, you also play free at the back or you certainly did against Mill, Millwall at the weekend so um, could be a bit of an interesting one um, I'm concerned you know Matty Crooks um, obviously he got the goal at the weekend he's a former player for Amara Academy yeah I think he'll be up for getting a result against us and obviously he's you know you can talk about tactics all you like but he's a huge lad um, our midfield's quite small so I can see that being a bit of a key battle during the game um, but yeah I think it you know <laughs> classic Interesting one if you're a neutral. I think this could be quite a good open game. Uh, so yeah, I'm going to go for score draw. I reckon one all. I'd say. Okay, so thank you very much for that, Brady. Um, guys, predictions sold out away allocation at the John Smith Stadium. First real away game for Chris Wilder's Middlesbrough. Um, how are we feeling? Do you think we're going to make it back to back wins? Then, uh, if 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 that's the case, or are we feeling a bit more? Reserved. Um, very good home form this season for Huddersfield, of course. But let's see how we, we think we're going to do. Um, Dana, what do you think? Yeah, just to add to the, the point that Brady made and what you just mentioned there about their home form, um, they're unbeaten in two months at home. So that is uh, home is where the heart is for, for Huddersfield. Um, they are a, 
they are prevalent scorers from set pieces. They are the set piece team of the season. They've scored 10 from those situations. Sauber Thomas, of course, what Brady mentioned there is, is the standout player in that respect, taking the corners. But um, oh, it's difficult, this one, because I don't feel like our recent form at Huddersfield has been particularly great. 3-2 defeat last season. Ashley Fletcher missing a pop from point-blank range the season before. I'm going to go with the draw for this game. I think, you know what, I'm going to say 2-2. Two, two. Okay, 2-2, two, two, a thriller, yeah? Desmond. Thriller. Uh, yeah, Desmond, a thriller. Um, Tom, what are you going to go for? I was also going to go 2-2. Two, two. Um, as much as I'd, I'd love to see us win two on the bounce, um, I just I don't see us keeping a clean sheet there. Um, I do think they're going to score. Um but I, I also, I don't think we're the type of team that's going to give up if they do score. So, yeah, I, I think it'd be 2-2. I, I think, you know, more than our standard 1-1. Um, yeah, I think there's goals in that game. Yeah, I, well, I was actually going to go with the one-all draw um, just to play with the law of averages and everything like that. But um, I, I do think it's going to be a difficult game. I think the, uh, they've really surprised me this season, Huddersfield. I thought they're going to be right down the bottom. But the signings themselves have been fairly solid they've came out to be fairly solid when we first really seen there's a few league one players in there but there is some some championship experience in there as well but I think it's going to be a difficult game but hopefully if we've got some players coming back and we're a bit more flexible with the, with the players that we have um, you never know I think we could potentially get something but if if Neil Warnock was still in charge Don Gorman would have had a field day to be like it's a game full of set pieces um, but we'll see we'll see <laughs> This is, a, this is a new Middlesbrough now. Um, so, but that's it, guys. Thank you, thank you very much for joining me, as always. And that's it. Borough draw at home to Millwall. Uh, but trips away and must win if Borough want to catch up with the promotion pack. This is the Borough Breakdown podcast. And that was all your match day chatter in a pod. Up the Borough Breakdown.